Federal Drive is presented by GEHA, Government Employees Health Association, proudly providing health and dental benefits to federal employees and their families. Visit GEHA.com. Cloud security misconfigurations and other mistakes can lead to trouble. To help agencies avoid security slip-ups, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, has released new standards for Gmail and other Google Workplace products. Now, this follows last year's release of configurations for Microsoft 365 products. For the latest, Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday caught up with the director of Cyber Shared Services at CISA, Chad Poland. What went into these baselines is, you know, we learned and we worked with the Microsoft effort and we really stood on, you know, the shoulders of that of that effort and really, you know, went through and methodically analyzed which threats could be prevented by which settings when in, in the, you know, the admin console for Google Workspace, uh, which, you know, we feel provides a very strong level of security to prevent, you know, misconfigurations, which have been known to um, allow threat actors uh, into these environments. The baselines themselves cover, you know, nine core Google Workspace products. So the, the full gauntlet that users would be, you know, familiar with and using. And they cover a total of 151 uh, very specific and prescriptive security policies that really hardens the environments once those organizations adopt the baselines. And for federal agencies, what can this tool help them do as far as the cybersecurity things that they they need to do, either by law, by directive, or whatever else? The great thing is, and what I like to say about our, both the Scuba Gear tool and the Scuba Goggles tool, is that those tools operationalize our guidance. You know, our, our guidance is useful and, and it, it folks read through it and they can see the actual changes and how to implement it. And, you know, actually each one of those policy statements mapping back to a MITRE attack framework to, so, to show that like, this is what it's gonna prevent. But, you know, the tool is where the rubber meets the road and it allows organizations to run in their environment and quickly see exactly where any deficiencies against the baseline are. And so it really allows them to focus their you know, their scarce resources and their time to really shore up those differences or those settings that aren't properly configured. One unique thing we've developed with uh, the Google Workspace product is we also have something called the Configuration Drift Detection Tool. Uh, and so what this allows, once an organization applies all the baseline settings, any change to that baseline will automatically notify an administrator to an change. So this is, you know, very relevant and important to security practitioners that, you know, if a third actor gets in and opens up a, a door or, or, you know, reduces some sort of security posture, it alerts them right away that something is amiss and, and they can take corrective action to fix it. And I wonder, you know, related to CISA's secure by default work, why in some cases these configurations are even configurable? You know, if there's a baseline level of security that everyone should be working toward, have you had those conversations with the vendors here? What, can you just explain a little bit more about why th- this is even an option if security is obviously very important? All of these baselines are, are developed in that same that, that theme of uh, secure by design and specifically secure by default. You know, what, one thing that's unique to our SCUBA baselines is that they're geared towards the federal enterprise, uh, which, you know, we've determined has a specific, uh, you know, risk tolerance that, you know, we want to make sure that it's more applicable to the federal space. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we would love it and we continue to have that conversation about making sure that uh, default settings are at the highest level of security for, for end users. Um, we've seen that, you know, with recent announcements that, you know, by default, um, phishing resistant MFA is enabled uh, for, for users. And, you know, we applaud the organizations that have adopted those. 
more secure by default um, practices. And so, yeah, we've, we've talked about uh, scuba goggles and I know scuba gear now I think has been out, as you mentioned, for a year. And there were a number of agencies that had been piloting the use of those configurations. Do you have any update on just where that pilot is at and where it's going in the future? Yeah, you know, we've had um, tremendous success and um, feedback from the community, both federal and non-federal users uh, with you know, the original scuba gear tool, we've, um, in our latest release, which is point, uh, point three, I think we're about to surpass 3000 downloads. Um, so obviously that's, you know, way more than the, the federal users. Um, and so that's just a testament that, you know, it's very, it's very user-friendly. It's usable. People are, are deriving value to secure their, uh, their environment. Um, here shortly, we will be releasing our first major update to both the Microsoft 365 baselines and the scuba gear tool. So that'll, that'll bring the baselines and the tool to a version 1.0. You know, that, that's going to come out shortly. And I think that's really going to answer a lot of the feedback and, and comments we've gotten during those pilots. You know, we piloted it with 12 agencies, but we also had, you know, public comment from, from users outside of the federal space who had either questions or feedback uh, on, you know, specific policies on the utility of the tool. And we've taken that all in, incorporated it, uh, and the cool thing that, you know, we're, we're running both these efforts concurrently is that we've been able to take that feedback from the Microsoft effort and apply it to the Google, you know, secure configuration baselines so that we're going to put out a, you know, an equally strong user-friendly set of resources and tools that really help end users at the end of the day. And, and you know, that's what it's all about is making sure that uh, what we're producing has direct impact to securing environments, whether it's, a, you know, the federal government agencies that are adopting it or, you know, our SLTT and critical infrastructure partners across across the country. And moving forward more broadly with the secure cloud baselines, I know you've put out a number of vendor agnostic tools as well. What's next for the SCUBA program more broadly as you continue to work these different uh, configurations and baselines? What's most important to the program is increasing adoption. We want, you know, as many organizations to adopt these, whether they're using Google or Microsoft. Uh, and so, you know, what, the, what we're going to do starting next year is a series of hands-on workshops uh, that will be, you know, hosted in the, the D.C. area. We're going to bring in users, practitioners from federal space. It's going to be available both hybrid, virtually, and in person. We're going to bring in some of the pilot agencies that, you know, actually went through and implemented the baselines and, and talk about, you know, how they helped secure their environment, any, any issues they may have faced that can be, um, helpful and insightful to other users who are, you know, starting out on this journey. But at the end of the day, you know, we want to increase adoption. We want people to understand how to use it, what applying the different security policies does to their environment. And so, you know, that's one of our, our main focuses for the next year. Chad Poland, Director of Shared Cyber Services at CISA, speaking with Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. Check out Justin's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. As the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Chief People Officer, Elizabeth Comstetter sees a focus on people as absolutely crucial to her leadership style. Comstetter joined Shane Canfield, WEPA CEO, to reflect on her years of experience leading in the federal human capital space. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Kolmstetter, Chief People Officer 
at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you, great to be here. In your current position at CISA, one of your responsibilities is ensuring a people-first culture. Explain what that is, and, and what's the role of leadership in creating and shaping that culture? Yes, at CISA, really paramount to our culture is a people-first driven aspect, so that we are really looking at how do we accomplish our mission through our people. And in order to do that, we really value our people. We want them to feel empowered and supported and uh, respected, and also that their managers care about them. So well-being is important. Psychological safety in the workplace is important, so that all voices and ideas are heard. So I like to call it our North Star. Having a people-first culture really starts with the people in order to get our incredibly difficult mission accomplished. In terms of leadership, which is a great question, I think we all know that culture is really driven by leadership and the, the behaviors that we allow and we uh, you know, uh, reinforce in our leaders. So we really work at making sure that our leaders are bringing out the best in their people every day. So again, that they feel they can bring their voice, especially an opinion that might not go along with the majority of a group, so that we get that diverse perspective, we get those different ideas and experiences and that's really where we find that it's important that leaders are purposefully bringing out their talent on their teams to enable our mission. Yeah, excellent. We're, we're going through a, a culture project at our work. Oh, great. Yeah, it's, um, it's been six months in the making, and it's going really well, but it is work. Yes. And it requires from the top down. So I'm, I'm also involved in that. I hear you. Great. Throughout your career, you piloted many different talent management programs, including at NASA, the CIA, the FBI, just to name a few, and you have an amazing career. What have you learned or how have you might have changed along the way in creating and leading those programs? Yes, and I, I, I am so honored to have had a career in public service across multiple federal agencies, always in the realm of human resources and workforce performance. And I think because I study organizations and people in them, I've come to realize, particularly in the federal government, that many of our programs are really grounded in the industrial era thinking, that this is organizationally structured in a hierarchy with boxes and lines on charts, uh, with the center being around jobs and what do we need to get this job done in terms of skills and training. And what I found is that we're really not in the industrial era anymore where we would promote the smartest people who knew that work and they would then tell the people on their team how to do things and oversee that work. We're now in a digital era and the information era where work gets done collaboratively across geographic boundaries and certainly across org charts. So uh, we like to call it networks um, or hierarchies, and we really need to, again, unleash people so they can find those other people who are working on similar problems or have the right ideas. And so I really like to think of our work now in the talent programs being human-centered. It's more about the user and the experience than about the rules and regulations. So although we have to have rules and regulations, certainly in human resources, is that person experiencing what they need and getting what they need for their role at that time? So not so much on the job, but on the person. So for example, we're recruiting. 
what's the applicant experiencing? Because if they're not having a good experience with our organization from the time we're recruiting them, they're going to go work for somebody else. Same thing with like first time supervisors. We know they need certain training, but telling them to sit in a class for one week and then hope a year from now they'll remember what they learned to apply, that's not really human centered. The human centered is what do they need when they need it? And building modules or or just in time training and bringing that to the people, to that user as they need it. So that's really, I think, the most important focus of talent programs today in this era to enable the workers to be the best they can be in their in their roles. Excellent. New thinking. Um, This is always an interesting question. Has there been a time when as a leader that you've made a mistake? And what is that? And um, I think most important, what did you take away from that? What did you learn from that? Well, I kind of chuckle because I think as leaders, we have to learn to recognize our mistakes, admit our mistakes, and that they are opportunities to learn. And so uh, I've had to do my own self-reflection on, on making mistakes and when things don't turn out the way that I expected them to. Um, makes me think of a time when I was at the Transportation Security Administration and I was a supervisor. And I was really embroiled with my program. I was the technical leader of it. I understood it. I'd run it for years. And I was making a briefing for a decision that had to be made about this program that was very near and dear to me. And I presented the briefing uh, to one of the very senior people in the agency And I think there are about 20 people in the room. And I had gone through the briefing, answered all the questions. And that leader then said, okay, I'm going to go around the room and get everybody's opinion. And then everybody gets to vote, which kind of set me aback because there were people in that room that didn't have any technical knowledge about my program. She even turned to the executive assistant there taking notes on the meeting and said, go ahead and I want to hear from you. And I realized in hindsight I had stopped listening. I had been in transmitting all of my knowledge and what I saw to be the right way, and I was not listening to different perspectives in the room because I didn't think that, I didn't value that they were bringing any kind of input to this particular decision. And it didn't go as I had hoped, and I left very disappointed and was busy blaming the senior leader and how that meeting was conducted, that she let all these people have opinions when they didn't know, in my mind, didn't know what they were talking about. And so um, in reflection on that, I realize, and now as I've moved into more senior leadership positions, I realize that was a mistake, that it actually is really important to listen, especially to people who have different perspectives or at a different point in the career, not just the people who know the program or the technical really well. And so... That was a mistake I made, and I realized in my own sense I wasn't listening to very different opinions, and I probably should have because I would have learned more about what was needed for this program going forward than just leaving, getting getting upset that it didn't go a certain way. So I've really practiced active listening. I've practiced making sure there's very different people on um, teams and certainly on committees or councils that we need early careers, people new to the agency, people who haven't walked in the shoes of the technical workforce because they're asking questions we need to hear for these programs to be successful. Excellent. Your career in talent management means your work is very closely tied to people. 
and even your title, Chief People Officer. What does that mean to you to be a leader in the federal system with that focus? Isn't that a great title? I just love the title Chief People Officer, and I think it's my dream job, really, to be focused on people and culture and the workforce strategy for the whole agency. And I'm just so excited to be at CISA at this point in time. We're only four years young as an agency, so we're really still creating who we're going to become as an agency and what is our culture and what kind of people and talent do we need to be sure we have to be successful so it's very exciting for me to be in this role with an intentional focus on culture because it's one of those things, if you leave it to chance and you kind of hope it goes the way you want it to, it probably won't. So by building programs, including leadership development programs, including um, any kind of training and learning and career growth and um, engagement programs and listening programs, that's what's really key for, I think, for our agency and particularly me in this role. Um, I think in the federal government, we got used to doing annual survey, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey that OPM, Office of Personnel Management, runs every year. So we would do a survey and we'd read it and we'd say, oh, this is the opinion of our people. And then we would do action plans and then we'd roll out certain activities that we would hope would, in, would increase engagement. In this era, you can't do once a year and understand what your employees' experiences are, what they need, what's working well, and what needs to improve. We need active, uh, ongoing listening programs. So one of the things we're doing at CISA is having more pulse surveys, having more focus groups and what we call sensing sessions, expecting our leaders to have office hours where anybody can come and just talk about what's going well, what do they need, how, how are things going, um, because I, we feel like it is an ongoing need to hear from our people. And I think in this role and over the years of serving, I've also realized there's never a one-size-fits-all. You know, we think certain people need certain things at certain times in their career. There's no one-size-fits-all. Neither can we also customize everything to every individual. So there's got to be a sweet spot in building really great talent programs, but also, like I said, thinking about can we do this in modules? Can we make it a menu? Can we do it just in time as people need it so they can practice the new skill or knowledge in their role? So I think we have such great opportunity, again, with the technology that enables us to really um, focus on how we connect people with their work and their team to get things done in, in very new ways. This is always an interesting question. Is there a figure, either from your personal life, your past, somewhere in history generally, that inspired you, your leadership style, um, how you view leadership? There are many figures who have been very inspirational to me, but there is one that sticks out, and that's my mother, Paula Brownlee, who has been a very inspiring leader to me all my life. And I think because, first and foremost, she had a strong family and a strong career. And that's something I always wanted. And I saw her first as my mother, but then I also saw her as a leader in her career and in academia, which was her chosen field. But I always knew her family came first. And as I saw how she balanced different family needs with also a, a growing and more and more prominent um, career positions in leadership, that she had to balance that. And I think I learned from her that you can have both. You have to, you have to focus on different things 
through your career um, and through your life, but that you don't have to trade one for the other. Um, I've been married, happily married for 32 years, and I'm a mother of twins who are almost 24 years old. So, And I've had a great career in public service. So I think that having her as a role model has really helped me um, find my own courage, find my own confidence, and find my own voice in how I can prioritize the things that are most important to me so that I can actually balance both family and career. And you're doing it well. You're, Thank uh, you. Having known you now for seven or eight years yeah. um, and worked alongside you, uh, your passion is infectious. Thank you. Your uh, intelligence and, and the thoughtfulness with which you approach uh, all of these issues, it's... Uh, it's an honor for you to be here, and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO at WEPA, and until next time, have a great day. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.